Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Robin Toom, CEO and co-founder of Yoti, the digital identity app. A serial tech entrepreneur and investor, Robin and his co-founders had the idea for Yoti at a Spartan race. That's an obstacle course race for those of you that don't know, including me. When 10,000 people were registering with their passports and driving licences. The process was long, outdated and a security risk. People were leaving ID documents in tents during the race. Alongside co-founders Duncan Francis and Noel Hayden, the trio saw an opportunity to harness biometric technologies and our increasing use of smartphones to develop a digital identity solution. As Robin says, as our lives become increasingly digital, protecting personal data is more relevant than ever before. We are signing up to more accounts and sharing more information online, and thus the threat of identity theft and data breaches has never been greater. Yoti, an anagram for your own trusted identity, offers a simple and safe authentication method for online and face-to-face interactions and has over 4 million installs since November 2017. That sounds pretty popular to me. We'll be talking to Robin in a few minutes about all of this and what it is that makes Yoti safer. We've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, Stevie Wonder, Sam Cooke and Lonnie Liston-Smith. That's today's Jazz Shapers. Here's Robert Glasper Experiments with Calls featuring Jill Scott. You always That was the Robert Glasper experiment with the brilliant voice of Jill Scott. My business shaper today, as I said earlier, is Robin Toombs. He's the co-founder at Yoti. The world of digital, Robin, is, I always say we're in the midst of a revolution, but we're a bit deeper than that now. We're sort of, I don't know what the next stage of a midst is, but anyway, we're here now talking about Yoti. It's lovely to see you. Talk to me a little bit about um, you and why this isn't the first time you set a business up. Okay, hi, Elliot. Um, So when I was in my early 20s, I kind of did... Um, kind of move on from university and thought, you know, not sure what to do. I went to PricewaterhouseCoopers because I thought that's a, that's a place where I can kind of learn a few things and work out what I really want to do in life. And um, whilst I was there uh, in 1997, I met a, uh, a guy who was actually working in the local area who uh, was setting up a web design business. And uh, we got to know each other. And after a few months, I decided that I was going to leave uh, PwC and take a risk and join Noel Hayden, uh, who's one of my co-founders in Yoti. And we set up a, a business together and uh, we kind of, you know, worked out that, you know, there's lots and lots of interesting things to do on the web. We chose kind of online free-to-play games and uh, that was quite popular and we were able to sell that business and uh, that was the start of Noel and myself kind of getting into kind of entrepreneurial things. So uh, I left corporate life at PwC and jumped into the world of of doing uh, startups. And, and what possessed you to do that? Because I, I meet lots of people who have been lawyers, a few have been an accountant, you were an accountant, you just mentioned Pricewaterhouse. That's a pretty big move. You know, when you think about accountants and you go, well, they're a pretty conservative bunch. But you did this 20 years ago plus and you've been doing it since. So what possessed you? 
Yeah, I think a few different things. So I've got three older brothers. They've all been kind of, you know, high high performers. Uh, and I always wanted to do, you know, something uh, which would kind of not make a name for myself, but to kind of prove to myself that I was able to do uh, high performing things. And what I will kind of work Sound like out. an athlete. <laughs> and I was only going to do the long jump, but I said, no, I'm now going to do the 100 metres. Indeed. With an was, egg and spoon. So I kind of worked out that there were lots and lots of people at PwC, lots of bright people doing lots and lots of, you know, fairly functional things. And I thought, well, you know, there is a definite journey there, but for the next 20 years, it's going to be fairly clear what, what I'm going to be doing. And it's fairly kind of organized and it's been done a lot before. And when I met Noel, I realized hmm, there's a whole big world out there where effectively you've got to start a business, you've got to recruit some people, you've got to do a heck of a lot of things yourself. You can't be told what to do. You've got to work it out. And I thought, I'm 27. I haven't got you know kids and families. I can afford to take a bit of a risk now and I might never feel that I can take that kind of risk again. So I thought, okay, this is the right time to to jump out of one thing and try something new. I had no idea whether I'd be, uh, you know, any good at it or whether Noel and I would kind of, you know, get along well enough to make it work. But, you know, if you don't try things, you don't ever find out. And actually, we, we kind of loved it to bits and uh, it was very hard work. But, you know, it kind of blossomed over time. The unpredictable life of an entrepreneur, the roller coaster, and you've now, I think, co-founded how many businesses? I probably can't count very three, four, five, yes, something like that, isn't this it? This is the third major one. Third major one, plus a few charities which I want to talk to you about as well. The buzz, is that it? Is it just not knowing? Because, again, accountants are structured thinkers. You strike me as a structured man even in a few minutes. I don't think you'd miss what you know, the list is written and you deliver on the list. And this high-performance thing, you're, you, you relate to that, and that's a phrase that people use who are very, very focused and yet you like chaos so yeah i i was wonderfully naive um you know noel and i kind of got very excited you know two people above a you know a hair salon in wimbledon you know the world's our oyster and after a few months that naivety was very different it's kind of yikes you know um how do we uh how do we make sure somebody wants to pay us for doing any of this web design work, um, you know, have we got the right people on board? There's a whole load of things which you realise actually this is really, really difficult. And it wasn't long before we didn't have any money. Um, lots of people who were pitching for web development work back in 1997 were like, you know, well, we can do this for a few hundred pounds. Yeah, and obviously you can do a pretty poor job of brochureware for a few hundred pounds, but you can't do a really good uh, job for that and Noel and I you know wanted to do good quality work but it was pretty difficult to pitch against people who were offering much cheaper work but the the knowledge in the market the decision makers weren't really well informed on what's the difference between a 200 pound brochure mm. on the web and something a bit more clever with some database kind of integration so we found it really really difficult I was you know broke uh, literally within probably six nine months Noel I think was already broke her when when we met. Painting a very uh, positive picture here of doing your own thing, Robin. You're selling it well. You have to go through that. You go through that, but then the the next business is the Game Assist, is that right? Yeah, so so we we basically found it very difficult to do the web development because, you know, it was an immature market and we weren't very well capitalised as a business. So Noel, you know, being a very talented guy, said, well, look, we should develop some of our own IP, some some games, and actually license those. And that made sense to me, um, you know, sweating an IP 
uh, product across many licensees makes a lot more sense. So we did that, and Noel's got a flair for for games. And actually, big companies, Sky and others, started licensing the games, and that brought us in income. And then actually, people just free to play started playing the games on the web because uh, this is you know the days when an Australian could log into your site with just an email address and start enjoying playing your games. So we got tens of thousands of people doing that without having to spend any money. And that attracted people who wanted to then buy the business. And we sold the business to a company. And, you know, after about a year of working for them, we decided we were going to leave and create GameSys, which was the, the world's first online bingo business. And that became very popular. And in terms of these starting again moments, are they the best bits of what you do? Or are we now, because we're five years into Yoti, and we're going to talk about that in more detail, as I said earlier, um, are you still enjoying Yoti as much as you did when you came up with the idea, or is it a, is scaling up slightly different to starting up for you? I think there's, there's different uh, satisfactions at different points in the in the cycle. Um, you know, GameSys was much easier for us than IDM that first business because we kind of understood a little bit about you know be quick to spot when you're going wrong. Um, you will go wrong, but learn from it quick. Those things second time around are much, you know, you have a bit more confidence uh, because you kind of know a bit more about who to recruit, what kind of DNA they've got to have. All of those things are messy the first time you you try and run a business and and have a team of people. So that made it easier. In terms of a kind of, um, I, I think any business, particularly if you're closely involved in it, is always a bit of a roller coaster of, you know, one week, you know, good news is happening and performance is good. And the next week, maybe you get a, a kick in the teeth on, on something unexpectedly. And so you're always a little bit up and down, I think, if you're running your own business. Um, and, you know, that I think you have to be able to handle uh, that, you know, if you're somebody who really doesn't react well to that kind of level of uncertainty and can't kind of keep a level head on it, then that, that's a problem. And I've, I've always felt that's, that's okay. I've learned that that's, that's part of running a business. More coming up from my guest Robin Toombs in a couple of minutes. But first, though, we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some advice for your business. Hello, I'm Kate Higgins from the corporate department at Mishkondorea. One of the key issues facing our business clients is how to achieve the long-term success and prosperity of their business whilst dealing with the day-to-day needs of running the business. One method of achieving this is to have in place a sound system of corporate governance. It's widely accepted that having a sound system of corporate governance can help achieve long-term success. And this is an area where we work closely with our clients. It's a good idea to set it at an early stage and then reassess as the business grows. So what is sound corporate governance? Well, helpfully, there is new guidance in the form of the weights principles for corporate governance, and these apply to private companies. There are two main areas on which the weights principles focus. The first, which I'm going to talk about today, is about a suitable board structure. Making sure that you have a wide range of diverse talent on your board is key putting in place adequate training for your board members and ensuring there is independent challenge, perhaps with a non-executive director, can also assist. Finally, it's important to document the procedures that you have in place so everyone is clear about them. Using the weight principles is advisable and now would be a good time for companies to see how they measure up. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea, it's business, 
but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes. Or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform, you can enjoy the full archive. There's lots of talk of platforms these days. Everything's got a, everyone's a platform now. But back to today's guest, it's Robin, Robin Toombs, a CEO and co-founder of Yoti, the digital identity app. We can call it a platform as well if we like. Tell me about Yoti in a bit more detail. I get it, but I want you in your own words to say what the thing is. So Yoti is your own personal identity that you create using your face and your photo ID on your smartphone so that you can prove who you are to people. You can ask them to prove who they are if they wish to do so. And you can kind of do things like prove your age. So we're effectively giving people an empowerment to kind of manage themselves online in a much better way. At the moment, if, if I know your name, Elliot, and your address and your date of birth, I can reg- register you without your agreement to lots of websites. It's, it's called a knowledge-based identity system, and it has huge flaws in it, and lots of fraudsters take advantage of that. And we looked at that and thought, well, in our online bingo business, you know, we're getting three, four 400,000 people sign up with us each year, and some of them are actually fraudsters. And finding that out, working that out, and preventing fraud on both the victim and on the business is really challenging when it's web form you know, processing. So we've always thought that identity platform, you know, the web's done amazing things over the last 25 years, but identity hasn't been solved. And we always thought a big, big company, you know, Apple's, Facebook's would probably do that. But as we watched over the years, we thought, you know, nobody's doing it. Perhaps it's too hard. Lots of people told us it is too hard. And then actually we we went to, um, you know, this particular event in in, um, California and saw just how painful it was for 10,000 people to queue up, luckily on a sunny day, to basically register themselves, then get tags, timing tags. Then they had to queue again for basically uh, signing off that they definitely were happy with the injury waiver kind of terms and C's. They had to basically then show their passport to show their signature, and it really was them. Mm. And then they had to queue one more time in the bag drop tent for security. And we looked at that and thought, that's about an hour in the sun. I then watched two weeks later in the rain in East Grinstead and thought, that's a really, really bad system. So um, we decided, you know, look, let's let, let's go for it and create a digital identity. We knew it was going to be very difficult, so we put a team of people on it with a clear kind of, if every quarter we make enough progress technically, we know if we can get this technically right, it will be very, very useful to lots of people, both commercially and socially. Mm. Um, but, you know, if it's too difficult, we can kind of say at least we tried and, and kind of, you know, withdraw from, from doing it or postpone it for another few years. And here we are five years in. Too difficult or manageable? Yeah, typically, you know, Noel and I are fairly seasoned on estimating, you know, technical projects. So, you know, naively we thought probably two years it'll take us to do that. It took three um, so we launched the first beta in November 2016 and it took us about a year in kind of beta for us to really work out technically how, how to do it, get some feedback from you know early adopters and it was really only at the end of 2017 where we thought we can technically do this, we can do it securely, hackers won't be able to get into the system and the businesses we'd been speaking to were saying keep going because it will be really useful if you can you know, complete this, this technical project. And you're working with big companies. I mean, the Accentures, the Hiscox, the Jägermeisters, Money Supermarket, NSPCC, I believe, are all involved. Uh, I'm going to come back to talk more about this, but this must be the next frontier, right? I mean, we're going to move and become increasingly digital. 
uh, in our lives, and we already are, all of us, as you said, are signing up there. Surely, bigger companies than you are attacking this problem. Is that Has that changed now? Have you got big competition now? Yes, yeah, so it's a classic case of, you know, at the moment, most of the startups in this field are doing what we call B2B services. So where you become a white label piece of software where you on your legal firm site could basically ask me to scan a photo ID document, maybe capture a picture of myself, and then at the back end, maybe match those faces. But effectively, that's a B2B service. Nobody knows your brand. And Noel and I looked along with Duncan and said, you know, we don't want to be one of those 10 or 15 B2B services. We want to be a B2C service where people actually go, I own a Yoti. And that Yoti is completely mine in terms of what I do with it. If if I don't want to do anything with it, nobody else can. And we thought the big businesses, the big supermarkets, for people who really need to prove age, identity, make sure it's you logging back into your precious you know, account if you're spending money on on your shopping every month, they will be interested in basically an easy way for people to prove who they are or how old they are. You've got how many people working in the business at the moment? Yes, we've got about 250 people working in the business. And that's engineering, marketing, business development. We have a pretty big security team as well. So when you sign up with Yoti, within a few minutes, we've checked that you definitely do match your face to your documents. Some of that's AI. Mm. Some of it is what we call super recognizers. And there's about half a percent of people, and a lot of people don't know that they are these people, who are extremely good at recognizing whether you are the same face as your nine-year-old passport. So it's fairly easy for me to check whether you are the same face as your six-month-old passport. Most of us can do that, even if you change your hair a little bit or whatever. Mm. But if it's nine... Slightly longer at the moment. I'll cut it like <laughs> yours. We're gonna, I'm, I'm working through things. I'm pleased you noticed. Indeed. So, you know, <laughs> nine years is actually really challenging. If yeah. somebody's 19 and is now 27... Um, you need a super recognizer to be sure that that person is the same. How do you find super recognizer? I mean, it's not the sort of thing you go on a first day and go, excuse me, hello there, Stuart, you look like a super recognizer, I can just tell. <laughs> so, no, we luckily use the web for that. So the first way people sign up to be super recognizers at Yoti is that they have to go through an online uh, test where they obviously do some super recognizing if they are <laughs> good at super recognizing. And if they are, then we basically pull them into the, to the office, get to know them, give them some more tests, and if they perform really, really well, wow. um, then they become part of our super-recognising team. I, I, feel like I'm in a, I feel like I'm in a movie. This is like Gattaca or something, and everyone's sort of, you want to get on the jet where you've got to be a super-recognizer. I mean, this fusion of technology and, and people is is happening at a, an incredible speed at the moment. In that, though, you're a human being, and Noel is a human being, and you've got human beings in the office. In terms of management style... It's 250 a lot of people for you in, t- in terms of the history of, of your own journey. And if so, how have you adapted your own methodologies, your own leadership style to manage that size group of people? Yeah, so, so you know, GameSys grew from literally kind of five or six of us when we left IDM and is now kind of 1,300 people. And, um, you know, that's 18 years and we probably had, you know, 500 people after five or six years. It was a very fast-growing business. So neither Noel or I really knew whether we'd be any good at managing, you know, 50 people, let alone 250 people or 1,000. But, you know, we were kind of, you know, relatively sensible about recruiting some good people to join the team in the management team. Some of them had more experience than we did of managing teams already of, of size. 
And, you know, usually you tend to find, you know, recruit as many good people as possible mm. and life gets easier. Try and learn it all yourself. You'll make a lot of mistakes. You might you might learn from the mistakes, but you, you can't afford to make too many mistakes in life if you've got a big, big team. So, you know, this one is already, you know, quite a big team. I think you do have to, uh, you know, change styles a little bit. That's difficult for entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs like to, you know, make decisions pretty quick, change decisions pretty quick if they think they need to be. There's lots of benefits uh, of having that kind of rapid decision making, but it can be very off-putting to some people. If you've been in a corporate environment, things tend to go a lot slower. If somebody changes their mind too often, for some people that's just unnerving and it's not the right you know, kind of environment for them to excel. So you, you tend to have to look very hard at DNA. If people um, don't have the right DNA, they're not going to flourish in, in an environment where, where you've got an entrepreneur leading. And in one word, how would you describe your own leadership style, Robin? You know, uh, in progress. Um, That's two. <laughs> Give me one. Pro- Come on, you progressing. can do it. Um, progressing's good. You know, yeah, trying. <laughs> I think you have to recognise that it's pretty difficult and uh, anybody who already thinks they're, they're very good at uh, leading people is, you know, it's best to keep on trying to work at it because, uh, you know, arrogance and... Uh, you know, it is definitely one of the one of the big drawbacks if people begin to think that they're very good at something and haven't got still lots to learn. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest today. That's Robin Toombs. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Lonnie Liston-Smith. That's all coming up in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal. was Lonnie Liston-Smith with Expansions, which is um, reminds me of my childhood, reminds me of being a teenager, which I'm not anymore, but I'm still hoping uh, somehow or other technology that Robin Toombs will create will enable me to go back in time. He's the co-founder and CEO of Yoti. Um, we mentioned GameSys before, and uh, obviously this, and you mentioned there are 1,300 employees, and we talk about the 250 now. You've now sold the rest of your, your chunk of equity in that, along with Noel, significant money money that enables you to never work again and yet here we are talking about your next startup what drives you robin so, so i guess during my time both at idm and gamesys i loved working with with people solving problems um and i guess you know until you kind of do that thing you don't really know what really you enjoy getting up and going to work for but for me you know of course you you enjoy meeting people and chatting and you can do that in any any business but it's really fun to basically work with other you know, particularly now that I'm 50, you know, younger people who basically have got lots of passion, want to kind of do great things and giving them the freedom to do that, which of course creates a little bit of chaos and mistakes. But actually when you see how well most young people perform, if you give them that kind of freedom to do so, it's, it's massively satisfying. I love, I love seeing that. Are you better at what you do uh, because you're now liberated from the worry of money? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it does allow you to take more risk. It does allow you to do things. So Yoti is a huge risk. You know, the, the online identity platform is a huge kind of prize for a few businesses to kind of create. Um, 
but very, very risky. You know, uh, you've got to have lots of businesses recognising the platform, and until you do, people won't want to get a Yoti. Um, until people get a Yoti, businesses don't want to bother integrating. That chicken and egg is a big problem. So you could argue, you know, uh, having having a lot of you know funds behind you. Um, you know, gives you a false sense of confidence that you can do something and you could end up, you know, wasting a lot of money trying to do things just because you can afford to. If you have to persuade too many other people to back it, you're going to find that your, you know, your, your arguments for quality of your strategy is going to have to be very, very good. But it does also allow you to kind of make the bets that, you know, often an entrepreneur makes. So, you know, a lot of people will find reasons why you shouldn't do something or why your idea isn't a good idea. It's very easy to do that. There's always nine good reasons why you might not want to create a business. There's usually only one or two which kind of makes some sense. But of course, most entrepreneurs, if they listen to the nine, they wouldn't ever give it a go. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, those one or two things flourish and mm. make, makes, makes it work. The other thing I like about just reading up about you was the fact that you've also co-founded a charity, an organisation called Zing, back in 20, 2010, supporting young people's charities through investment, networking and technology access. It strikes me you're, you, you have very strong values, that you actually care. And as I talk to you, you know, it's like the classic thing, you walk down the street, you don't know if someone's successful or not. But you obviously have been hugely commercially successful. Another one of those things that, people just you know a person no one's heard of until they've heard of them uh but you've done all this good stuff where does the good stuff come from why do you why do you care so i think you know it's very lucky my my mum and dad and a lot of the the people they uh they kind of you know introduced me to in life uh, when i was young were were you know really good people and had like you know strong kind of uh you know principles and views and i i absorbed some of that i you know kind of I'd like to think some of it is because I, I kind of thought through things and thought what well, what is important in in how you go about your your life and what what does give you meaning and what does um, you know give meaning to others. But I think yeah, my parents. I went I went away with two good friends when I was eighteen to South America with backpacks. You know, incredibly naive. Uh, you know, worked for six months, went off on the backpack, realised we didn't really have the right budget to do any of that but we we kind of noticed very quickly just how different life was for many people living in countries like Peru there's some wonderful things to see but what really came home was how difficult life was for many of the people we either met or just kind of saw in the street um, you know beggars and all sorts which you can't you can't really comprehend that as much in a in a civilized Western country um, just how much you know hardship there is so that's always kind of you know you know, been something in the back of my head and studied economics and land development, all sorts of things which made me think, yikes, you know, this world is quite often unfair and cruel. But, you know, people can do, you know, as much as possible to try and, you know, make things a bit better. It's brilliant you're doing the good stuff as well. Continue to fight the fight with Yoti. I'm sure that we'll be hearing about its ongoing success. One quick question before your saunter is a quick answer. You talked about being a high-performing person and you were going to be better than you are doing, doing well compared to your brothers. Has that, has that transpired? Are you feeling good about where you're at? Yes or no? Very comfortable, yes. <laughs> um, really enjoyed talking to you, Robin. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So it's um, Your Love is King by Sade. So early 80s, absolutely loved the uh, the sax on this. And, uh, you know, Sade's hugely talented and it's just great listening to good music.
That was Your Love is King from Shade, the song choice of my business shaper, Robin Toombs. He talked about wanting to solve problems. At the core of everything he's done is all about exactly that. He talked about entrepreneurs having to embrace and enjoy uncertainty. If you can't embrace that, then don't do it. And he was driven by really strong values. The desire to raise funds for charities is really important to him. All great stuff. That's it from Jazz Shapers and me. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.